So this weekend we are wrapping up our fall emphasis called Operation Love Your Neighbor. Our theme has been stirred, taken from the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, in which the author writes, let us consider how to stir on one another towards love and good works. As you leave today, uh, we've got these little stir sticks out in the lobby with the logo and the scripture passage written on it. Grab a couple of these, put one in your Bible, stick one on your desk at work, put one on your mirror, wherever you see it in the morning to remind yourself of this calling to stir up one another towards love and good works. Now, Operation Love Your Neighbor doesn't end because tomorrow is November 1st. I know we want to wipe our brow and say we don't have to love our neighbors for 11 more months, but that's just not how the gospel works. Which is why uh, I think today's passage is incredibly timely. Galatians chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in the doing and doing good. For at a proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore... As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So I'm uh, in a peculiar, almost awkward season of, of life. If you'll let me be human for just a moment, I'm experiencing two seemingly incompatible emotional realities at the very same time. On the one side, I feel pretty good. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of living my best life ever. My spiritual life is thriving. I open the scriptures and I sense God's presence. I love what I do. I feel a deep sense of responsibility and calling to this church uh, emotionally. I'm on a roll. My marriage is good, probably the best it's ever been. My kids seem to be doing reasonably well. I mean, for teenagers, my health is holding up. I feel content, feel hopeful, excited about life. And at the very same time, kind of in the background, I just feel weary. I just feel tired. I mean, part of it certainly is the weight of leadership in this particular moment in the human drama called life. If you are in a position of leadership, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it goes well beyond that. I look around the world that we live in and I I observe life. I'm an observer of life. I like to watch. and It's just amazing the way that human beings are treating one another. I read an article this week from Time Magazine. The title immediately caught my attention. Why everyone is so rude right now? I wanted to read that. Let me just read a couple of paragraphs. September 2021 was a bad month for manners. 
On the 21st, a woman pulled a gun on servers at a Philadelphia fast food restaurant when they asked her to order online. On the 16th, several women from Texas pummeled a hostess at a New York City family-style restaurant. A few days prior to that, a Connecticut mother was investigated for slapping an elementary school bus driver. And that same week, a California woman was charged with felony assault for attacking a Southwest Airlines flight attendant, dislodging some of her teeth. Re-entry into polite society is proving to be a little bumpy. Of course, it's the people who have lost their ever-loving minds that make the news. But they are also a reflection of a deeper trend. Americans appear to have forgotten their manners. Visitors to the Indiana University health system are now greeted by a sign that reads, please take responsibility for the energy that you bring into this space. Your, your manners, your behaviors matter. The Cleveland Clinic uses what it calls behavioral contracts when patients' behavior is continually difficult. In the year 2017, the Cleveland Clinic issued nine of these contracts. So far this year, they've issued 111. The Massachusetts Restaurant Association launched a billboard campaign to remind patrons that restaurants are still coming back up to speed, so things might move a bit slower than usual. Nevertheless, people have been so rude that at least at least one restaurant in the area felt obliged to close for a day to give its employees time to recover from the impoliteness of its guests the previous day. just makes me feel kind of tired. It doesn't stop in medical clinics and restaurants or schools or your workplace. It also seeps its way into the community of faith. And there is mistreatment, there is argument, there is division, not over theology and not necessarily over worship practice, but over ideology the anger and the meanness and the shaming, the absolutely ridiculous and inhumane fights online, the assumptions that we make about people we do not know, the labels that we slap on, the fracturing of biological families over differences, and the sense of our own rightness and everyone else's wrongness. So yeah, in the midst of all that, I grew a little bit weary in trying to do good. So it's from this bizarre, hope-filled weariness that I approach Galatians chapter 6. Do not grow weary in the doing of good. Let me give you some background on Galatians. Galatians, though we refer to it as a book, is a letter It was written to the church gathered in Galatia on a map. It's right there in the middle, kind of in central Turkey. 
so Paul writes this letter to a group of churches that he's responsible for in Galatia. Now, what we've got to remember when we pick up the Bible to read it, we are reading the Bible on two very, very distinct horizons. The first horizon is the ancient horizon, reminding ourselves that the Bible is a very old book, Uh, The New Testament written 2,000 years ago, the Old Testament even longer than that. The New Testament was written to a specific groups of people at specific times for specific reasons in a cultural context, in a historical context. And so we realize that when we pick up the Bible. But then we also realize we read it on a modern horizon, Meaning that uh, we do believe, I believe that the Bible is God's word to us. It is his revelation. It is never changing. It is, it is all powerful. It is God's word to us. And so I use it to apply it to my, my daily living. Now, if you look at this particular text on the ancient horizon, what, what you discover is the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Galatia to address a very specific issue. And the issue could be summed up in the word legalism. There were those that had come into the church in Galatia and were preaching a message that was counterintuitive to the message of the gospel. The message they were preaching went a little bit like this. Jesus is not enough. Not only do you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to live all of the Old Testament mosaic laws. Yes, Jesus gave his life, but you also have to follow the food laws and the sacrificial laws and on and on and on. So the Apostle Paul steps into this narrative because there was a power struggle. Many of the Apostle Paul's converts in Galatia were beginning to lose heart. The Galatian church was losing focus. When we then move into the modern horizon of today, I think a lot of the weariness that I feel, and I bet many of you feel, is that we've kind of lost our focus. Not only in the Christian church, but also in our roles as human beings. Now, of course, we're not fighting over the Old Testament laws handed down by Moses. But what we are doing, I've observed, is that while we say to be a person of faith, to follow Christ, to be a Christian, it's all about the cross, what Jesus did, but also how you vote, and also your take on COVID, and what you said or didn't say, or your thoughts on whatever issue of the day is. I think the Apostle Paul's voice would echo through time and say, stop it, because the cross is enough. What Jesus did is enough for us. But then we see power struggles just like the church in Galatia, and we miss something really, really important, and that is the call of the gospel to do good. Not just to do what's right, but to do what's good. Jesus himself, when he stepped into history, redefined good by redefining power. Jesus redefined power shortly before his crucifixion when he took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around his waist, got down on his knees, and washed the feet of his disciples, which would have been unthinkable. In Jesus' day, the Israelites struggled under Roman occupation and Rome was all about power and conquering and servants were weak and meant to be exploited. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
You want to do good. You take the posture of a servant. And that's where we start to lose focus. Because our focus really is given by Jesus himself. First he said, I want you as a congregation to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, because of what he's done on the cross, because of his life laid down. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Or go out in the world and do good. Don't grow weary of doing good. That word weary, as the Apostle Paul uses it, is also a reference to someone who has worked in the fields all day and are overcome by the heat. Overcome by the heat and the toil of working in the baking sun. When I was in high school, I worked on a grounds and landscape crew for a couple of summers uh, in upstate New York. It was very, very hot and humid in New York, if you've ever been upstate New York in the summer. And I didn't mind the work. I actually like mowing the lawn. I find it incredibly relaxing. What I hated was the heat. Now, I know some of you love heat. I hate it. I don't mind warm, but when it gets high 80s, 90s, and it's humid, it's just, it sucks all of the life out of me. I hate it. So I would go and I would work eight, nine hours a day, and I would come home, and I was so tired. I'd walk in the door, and my mom had this rule no shoes on the carpet. So I had my dirty, filthy work boots on and our front entrance had linoleum and then it went to carpet. So I would come in the door and I would just put my boots on the linoleum and I would just get down and I would lay down on the carpet making sure my boots were still on linoleum so I wouldn't get in trouble. And I would just... I would just lay there for 30 minutes... And this, my friends, is sometimes how my soul feels. There's a weariness that comes not from physical labor, but from the heat of conflict. The picture that the passage of Galatians is painting is the image of the heat of confrontation and division and the exhaustion that follows in the Galatian church. I mean, in this particular context, it is referring to the discouragement and the, become, the, the, the disheartening that happens at the level of the soul. Some of us, we give and we give and we give and we try to do good and we ask the question, is what we're doing making a difference at all? And that Weariness can turn into cynicism and maybe even anger. Truth is, what the world doesn't need is the world doesn't need us to tell them how bad they are. What the world needs is for a whole bunch of Christians to simply show how good God is. Now to deal with that, we have to address our own weariness first. Because when you're weary, it affects every part of your life. Some of us are weary because we are living life at a deficit. You and I, we are spiritual creations. When you deplete your spirit and do not refill it, you do catastrophic damage to your soul, which leaks out into every area of your life. And I know firsthand, I have been in pastoral ministry for about 25 years. For roughly 22 of those years, I worked 
about six to seven days a week. Now, I know the rumor is Mike only works on the weekend. But I would work six to seven days a week, which ironically is a violation of the fourth commandment. But there's a lot of need in the world. And I'm passionate about meeting needs. I I went into ministry, not to build a name for myself, I went into ministry to help people. And in my business, there's never a lack. There's always need. And so I was depleting myself in doing good and helping other people. And then I wondered why I was sick and tired all the time, why I was growing cynical, why I was distant and anxious, and why my family was not in a good place. So a few years ago, I took a sabbatical. Some of you remember it. I was gone all summer. And when I came back, I made two life-altering decisions with the help of my life consultant. Her name is Rebecca, and we're married. The first thing that I did was I committed to spending every morning, regardless of the tasks of the day, sitting quietly in the presence of God. Now you may think, well, you're a pastor, you're supposed to do that, right? Well, sometimes the need got in the way. So now every morning, I sit quietly with my Bible on my lap, in the presence of God. I'm not praying. I'm I'm just sitting there allowing God's spirit to refill my soul. And the second thing I started doing at the advice of my consultant was I started taking two days off a week, something I'd never done before. My wife would say to me, you know, normal people get this thing called a weekend. What about you? So I waved the white flag and I started doing that. And those two things changed everything. Because I wasn't tired in my body, I was tired in my soul. Like your soul is the most real part of who you are. Someday we're all going to die. The death rate in America hovers right at 100%. So we're all going to (laughs) die. And this body is going to decay. And what lives on is our soul. The most real part of who you are. It's why I think that John writes in the epistle of 3 John chapter 1, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that it may be good in your health as it goes well with your soul. So if you and I were to meet together out in the lobby after church today, we'd probably walk up to each other and say, Hey, how's it going? And that's a really easy question to dodge. Because I can say to you, hey, how's it going? And you can say, oh, things are fine, things are good. You might not mean it, but it's really easy to dodge. But if I walked up to you today and I looked you in the eye and I said, hey, how is it with your soul? That question is a little harder to dodge. I think it was the Quakers that would come into their worship gatherings. They would greet each other by saying, how is it with your soul? So this morning I, I ask, how is it with your soul? Is it depleted? Some of us deplete our soul because we are living consistently with with high-intensity emotions. Now, high-intensity emotions can come in two forms, both positive and negative. Things like being elated or excited, those are positive high-intensity emotions. Things like being angry or scared or anxious, those are kind of negative high-intensity emotions. They, They drain us. We're not created to live at high intensity. And yet, 
We live there. Matter of fact, the news media makes a lot of money when they can keep you scared or angry. One of the best things you can do for your soul is turn it off. In Western culture, though, we value high-intensity emotions. Stanford University asked Americans how they would ideally like to feel, and most cited high-intensity positive emotions, like elated or euphoric, rather than low-intensity positive emotions like relaxed or content. In other words, we equate happiness with high-intensity, which is important because we're not designed in our physical body to live with constant high-intensity, but we think we need that to succeed. And so we have things like, I'm fired up, I'm pumped, I'm going to crush it, I'm going to crank it out. I'm going to muscle through. All of which activates our fight or flight. It uses energy. And what your body and your soul really need from time to time is serenity and peace. Jesus left us the gift of his peace. John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. It's different. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So what do we do in the midst of all this? Well, the apostle Paul would begin by saying, as you refresh your soul, don't give up. Let us not become weary in the doing of good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, one of the troubles is one of the great manifestations of modern society is the transformation of society from slow to instant. I want it now. Like McDonald's revolutionized the speed of the restaurant industry. The microwave revolutionized how you can prepare your meals. Amazon Prime revolutionized the way I get stuff. Many of you remember, if you wanted to get something through the mail, you took a catalog, you picked up your rotary phone, called, made an order, and maybe it showed up in a week or two. Now I push a button, and it better be there in two days, because that's why I'm paying for Prime. And as our need for speed goes up, so does the speed limit on the interstate. When I was a kid, 55 was the speed limit everywhere. Now, you can go to places like Texas. On Highway 130, the currently posted speed limit is 85 miles an hour, which means you could probably get away with 93. trouble is instant doesn't work well with the soul. Instant doesn't translate well in faith. Some Christian thinkers have described faith as a long obedience in the same direction. The Apostle Paul defined it this way, Romans chapter 2, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Some of us, we give up way too quick because we don't see the results immediately, which is why I believe the letter of Galatians uses the metaphor of planting and harvest. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
We all know that you don't put a seed in the ground and expect to see a plant in an hour. Every time I choose to express God's goodness in the world, I'm planting a seed. I'm planting a seed and I'm trusting the Lord to cultivate it. So use every opportunity to do good. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. So instead of looking for every opportunity to be angry or offended, let's look for opportunity to do good. Because in God's essence, God is good. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all. My role, your role, is not to change the human heart. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. My role is simply to point people to Jesus and express God's goodness in the world. And so I'm going to use every opportunity I can to do good. So this weekend, as you leave, maybe the question on your heart and mind should be, what do I need to do to replenish my soul? Maybe it's as simple as spending some time in the quiet of the morning in God's presence. Maybe it's walking through the woods as the fall leaves are turning. And from that place, may we be on the constant lookout for ways to do good and express God's goodness in the world. Because what the world needs is to see the goodness of God shine through his people. So now, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. Amen.